Listen Up is a Widex original podcast. Thank you for tuning in. This is the last part in a miniseries where we take apart tinnitus and piece by piece tell the story of what that ringing in the brain is. But don't worry, if you like the story so far, there's more episodes in the pipeline. Which hearing-related subjects and stories we'll feature, we don't know yet, but we promise to make them sound awesome. So subscribe to Listen Up in your favorite podcast app. And with that call to action, let me now introduce you to this man. Tua Andersen. As a medical uh, audiologist at the University Hospital, I became interested in uh, tinnitus because uh, we had quite many people uh, with tinnitus. Tua Andersen is the number one Danish specialist in medical audiology. So I realized we had to create some kind of treatment uh, for those patients. And we started back in 1996 uh, using the TRT uh, treatment rationale created by Yastropov from the U.S. and then refined this, uh, turning it more into cognitive behavioral therapy with some mindful meditation uh, combined with CBT. We actually are having a success in reducing the distress related to tinnitus uh, uh, for about uh, 80% of our patients. Tura teaches at the university and has seen many, many tinnitus patients. Uh, I've seen a, a little more than, tried to figure it out, uh, a little more than 1,000 tinnitus patients with tinnitus distress. So <laughs> I've seen a, quite a, a substantial number. So yes, a substantial number do have tinnitus. Let's travel the world for a second. 10.4% in Guangdong province in China have experienced tinnitus. In North America, the Canadian Health Measures Survey found that an estimated 37% of adult Canadians, which is 9.2 million people, have experienced tinnitus in the past year. And it was bothersome for 7% of the population. And if your business card says classical orchestra musician in a Danish symphony orchestra, there's a 35% chance you have experienced tinnitus. All this data can be found on PubMed, a scientific database. But PubMed is not the typical go-to site when someone wants to learn more about tinnitus. Just asked Tua Anderson. Well, uh, now, uh, during the last years, uh, they are normally having uh, made their own research uh, on the internet, but uh, it's really hard for a non-medical person uh, to realize what is tinnitus actually, and uh, it's even hard for us <laughs> in audiology to, to describe it exactly. But, uh, or just ask Gary Holland. With that... Uh, we, we all know that uh, Dr. Google has a lot to answer for. Uh, but we're also, certainly speaking from my own point of view, uh, keen if we've got a problem to find out more about it. Because, you know, you have to wait to see medical people and it's nice to be informed. So I think we all look for information. Or just ask the founder of TRT, Pavel Yastrobov, who also thinks the internet is overflowing with information. You are totally right. <laughs> and misinformation. 
vast majority of information of uh, internet is based on myth. And just to list few of this myth, uh, the patient coming to any professionals has a 90-something percent chance of avoid caffeine, avoid salt, be careful what you are eating, diet is important, uh, avoid uh, aspirin, I, just to mention the most common. So let's dissect each of them. Caffeine. There were double-blind study and really very good design study shown that on average, caffeine is doing precisely nothing. In some people, it's causing increase of tinnitus, in some decrease of tinnitus, in some it's doing nothing. And if it's increasing, it's a temporary increase, the same as after exercise. You know, increasing metabolic activity to the body, blood pressure, whatever. So tinnitus might increase, not necessarily has to. And actually, stopping drinking coffee is harmful. One of the double-blind studies, people who are drinking coffee should still drinking coffee because withdrawal effect is causing worsening tinnitus has a much worse impact than keeping drinking coffee. So it's caffeine. And you can include chocolate and so on into this, uh, which again is even worse because chocolate has a it's increasing level of serotonin action in the brain, so you can consider this a very, very mild version of Prozac, and typically uh, people with tinnitus need some help in not feeling, uh, not feeling uh, depressed. It's another myth which actually originated with double misinterpretation of Meniere disease. Meniere disease, it's a set of symptoms with vertigo being most important and most bothersome, fluctuating hearing loss, tinnitus, low pitch, roaring tinnitus, and fullness in the ear. And now, as a first approach to Meniere patient, is low-salt diet and diuretics. And now there are two things. According to formal legal requirements. The successful treatment of Meniere tinnitus means only control of vertigo. Hearing loss is typically getting worse, tinnitus is stable getting worse, and is still considered a success because vertigo is under control. So even if low salt diet is helping, it's not helping on tinnitus. Secondly, Tinnitus related to Meniere disease has really not much to do, if anything, to do with uh, normal, so to speak, standard tinnitus. In this situation, even if it is helping uh, in case of Meniere, it has no chance of helping for normal tinnitus, but no scientific clinical basis supporting this. And still, you are hearing voice sound. Third thing is uh, aspirin. Yeah, that's true. But you can induce aspirin in practically 100 people without tinnitus. You can induce temporal tinnitus, which is fully reversible. It's after 48 hours, once you stop taking aspirin, it's disappearing totally. But it has no 
practical clinical applicability. Why? Because the dose of aspirin which you need to induce tinnitus is at least 22 aspirins a day, which practically nobody is taking except people with arthritis. And only one paper linking aspirin with tinnitus, which was lettering to editor, and it happened that somebody got a baby aspirin in the ear canal and got local poisoning with aspirin. Otherwise, no indication. No doubt, there's a lot of myths on the internet and numerous people with a quote-unquote cure for tinnitus. Some of these stories could hold a grain of truth, while others are, well, they don't. And the people behind them are in it maybe for less noble reasons. At the same time, there's also really good information out there on a number of reputable sites. Okay, let's leave the digital network of information and enter the human network of information, the brain. It's time for a small lesson. We mentioned the auditory cortex in the first episode. Just to recap, the ear transforms sound waves into electrical signals. These signals travel to the auditory cortex inside the brain, where the auditory information is processed. In the hearing process, multiple sounds are transduced simultaneously. The role of the auditory system is to decide which components form the sound link. It's really complex, so we won't go down that rabbit hole and explore the auditory cortex's role in identifying the location of a sound in space or the mechanism of identifying musical pitch and so on and so on. Back on track. Besides receiving input from the ears, the auditory cortex also transmits signals and is interconnected with other parts of the brain. One of the first scientists to suggest this connection with higher parts of the brain, especially the limbic system, was... Uh, when in 1998, Dr. Salvi... Pavel Yastrobov, back in the 1980s. Dr. Salvi published the PET scan data on patients. With the invention of the fMRI scanner decades later, scientists could scan the tinnitus brain. And they got a result which was absolutely shocking to them because they were expecting that auditory system would light up on the scans. And nothing was happening in the auditory system, but emotion system, limbic system, light up like a Christmas tree. And they have no idea why. They were shocked. And I explained to them it was just fitting perfectly as predicted by my mother. Today we know that tinnitus is not just an auditory disorder. This has to do with the higher brain functions in the frontal cortex and the limbic system. And if you think about it, there's a good reason to assume that it's more than an auditory disorder, because not everyone ends up getting tinnitus. Even if you have a hearing loss and have suffered from loud noise exposure many times, a lot of people only have transient tinnitus. Why? What's going on in the brain? Well, the limbic system regulates our emotions, and it also emphasizes or de-emphasizes what you hear, what you see, and, and kind of gives you the actual perception experience. So the upshot of all that is that tinnitus is a phantom sensation that depends on three things. First of all, in most cases, there is a peripheral auditory lesion. There's no way around that. 
Some people say there's tinnitus without hearing loss, but it's very, very rare. Second, there's a reorganization in the auditory cortex. Finally, there is this non-auditory gating mechanism in the limbic system. Let's take a closer look at the limbic system and zoom in on the internal noise cancellation system. If this is working, you don't have tinnitus. But if the system is broken, then you will end up having tinnitus. The system in your brain does the same as noise cancellation headphones on an airplane. The noise is still there, but the system adds another form of noise to the signal. And that's the negative form of the original noise, and it cancels out the unwanted noise. In the limbic system, the media prefrontal cortex does the volume control, so to speak. It turns down the gain when the nucleus accumbens tells it. If the nucleus accumbens sounds familiar, you may know it as the pleasure center. It's the small center that regulates our emotions. It's actually involved in giving addictions. It has all kinds of roles in terms of emotional regulation. And surprisingly, the activity in this region is highly hyperactive in tinnitus patients. So why are we being so nerdy about this stuff, you might ask yourself. Well, this knowledge and all the ongoing research, which aims to better understand these complex mechanisms and their neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine could, could lead to a cure. Yes, it's a long shot. And we're not even close yet. Indeed, there's been several kind of medical treatment and uh, they all have failed. There's been a treatment with lidocaine, uh, as you have seen, injected uh, into the patient and uh, it turned off the tinnitus perception. Uh, for 10 minutes, 20 minutes or so, but you can't go on having eternal injection of lidocaine. <laughs> so, but um, then uh, all kind of medical attempts to treat tinnitus has failed. But wait, we're keeping our fingers crossed because with new in-depth knowledge comes hope for the severe patients who don't benefit from therapies like TRT. Researchers are currently looking at what's called deep brain stimulation, as well as drugs aimed at regeneration of inner ear sensory hair cells, and probably lots of other areas of focus. But we first have to understand the brain, and then we can hopefully help people more. Thanks for listening. This was the last episode of this three-part miniseries dedicated to the complex nature of tinnitus. We will be back with more hearing and sound-related stories. Listen Up is a Widex original podcast. It is produced by Hear Hear Podcast Studio, edited and scripted by Andres Gulberg, sound score by Matthias Luna, speak John Churchill, that's me. Special thanks to Pavel Yastrobov, Gary Holland, Tua Anderson, and all the smart people who made this podcast possible. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to them, and be kind to leave a review. And of course, don't forget to enjoy the world out there and all the amazing sounds around you. 
Listen up, a Widex original podcast.